Welcome to Mind, Body, and Business, a podcast that explores topics, perspectives, and actionable insight for a strong mind and healthy body, along with empowering conversations to help you handle your business. I'm your host, Maria Moore, and we've heard the saying, the eyes are the windows into the soul. But when's the last time you had your eyes checked? Although our vision is the most treasured of all senses, proper eye care is often overlooked. Today, we have optometrist Dr. Janelle Davison here to break down eye health and provide some insight on eyesight. Dr. Janelle, welcome to the Mind, Body, and Business podcast. I am so glad to kick off this much-needed conversation. Yes, but first I want to say thank you for the invitation. I always like to have the opportunity to be able to spread knowledge um, and educate patients and potential patients on eye care. There's research that has shown that if you survey an individual, what do they fear most is going blind. And then you follow that right behind when was the last time you had an eye exam and it's usually over five years. So there's a gap. And so definitely is one of our most valued senses. The, the eye is very complex. I always teach my patients that the eye is part of the body. It's not on the island on itself. And so there are numerous things that we eat, things that we encounter that can affect our overall eye health. So I'm excited to talk about those things with you today. For sure, a much-needed conversation, and I look forward to your insight, no pun intended. And not just for our listening audience, but also for myself, because I had an eye exam about six months ago and found out that my left eye wasn't seeing as clearly as my right eye. And after the exam, I put on a pair of readers, and I was amazed at how much more clearly I could see. But had I not done that eye exam, I probably would still be squinting and increasing the text size of my phone. So in terms of warning signs, should we wait for them or have more of a proactive mindset when it comes to eye care? Because our eyes do deteriorate over time, right? Yeah, that's a good point. What you talked about, that's many patients experience. You know, one thing going to the eye doctor, we we force you to cover one eye to make sure both eyes are contributing for you. If one isn't, your body's just going to kind of adapt. But a lot of things, you know, some things are easy to, to note. If things are just blurry, um, if things are uncomfortable, if your eyes are red, those things are obvious. But a lot of things can be happening in the eye that are not obvious. I tell my patients a lot of eye diseases in the very early phases may not be symptomatic. You may still be seeing 2020, but something that's festering the back of the eye. And the only way you can really ascertain those things is you have to have a comprehensive eye exam. So those screenings are great. They're gonna ask, let us know if there may be some refractive error, meaning if you need glasses or contact lenses. But for me, the health is the biggest component, especially in people of color. We're more prone to a lot of conditions, including eye conditions, glaucoma, um, macular changes, and those things you can't really look at unless you have a comprehensive eye exam. Because we have all the tools, the lights and the lenses so that we can look into the back of the eye to see if there's added risk for eye disease, such as glaucoma, cataracts, and macular degeneration. And those are some household names, but there are a host of things that can change with the eye as you age. And then there's some things that are more prevalent depending on your overall health. So if you have diabetes, hypertension, MS, a lot of things that can affect the overall health of the eye as well. Right. And there are so many layers when it comes to our vision and eye conditions. As I was researching for this conversation, I learned more about, you know, conditions like glaucoma and even dry eye, which they say could lead to vision loss if untreated. Yeah, so dry eye and ocular surface disease is my subspecialty. That's my specialty. I do primary care. Some means I do everything, but my my jam is what I like to say is dry eye disease. Um, it is very um, undertreated um, and underdiagnosed. A lot of patients, and probably some things I'll rattle off, you may experience, you know, fluctuation in the vision. So sometimes fluctuation of vision, if you blink and it clears up, that can indicate your eyes are dry. If they burn, if they excessively water, 
if they're constantly red, those could be indicators that you may be suffering from dry eye disease or you have the precursors. And those kind of masquerade for a lot of other things that patients write off as stress, allergies, and they try to self-treat. But if you're not properly diagnosed with, yes, dry eye disease, it can go on to cause significant changes in your vision and or vision loss. Um, for instance, I had a patient come in um, in between exams, right? So they were kind of overdue for their annual, but they came in saying, hey, doc, my eyes are really, really blurry. I think I need, you know, to update my glasses and contact lens prescription. But unbeknownst to patients, really at a certain age, things should be fairly stable. So if you're having to feel like a big shift in how well you see, then usually something else is going on. So we evaluated, uh, we checked for early signs of dry eye using special dyes, and his eyes were so dry that they made these stipples on the front part of the cornea, like dry skin wow. or dry lips. So oh, if your wow. lips get dry, it cracks. If your eyebrow gets dry, it's flaky. The eye is no different. But the difference is when it gets so dry and cracky on the corneal surface it'll affect how well you see so he mm. was thinking his vision was blurry because he needed new glasses and contacts but he really had dry eye that changed over that year because a new medication was introduced to his system um that he didn't know that that can maybe cause some of those changes and so we were able to treat and he was able to see clearly again black folks we would call it ashy eyeballs uh you don't it's, want to do. you, do. <laughs> you call it ashy you know eyeballs. my patient they look like me so i'm uh -huh. like yeah you know when you got that thin lotion uh -huh. from the dollar store it working in, in the summer but you can't use that the summer you be ashy before you hit the door and they're like yeah doc i know what you're talking about so mm. Mm -mm. And you know what really concerns me these days about vision is that we're using our cell phones and electronic devices more than ever. I'm talking hours and hours of screen time. So from an optometry perspective, what concerns or things should we be aware of when it comes to screen time and our overall eye health? So a couple of things, especially screen time has always kind of been that thing that's been constantly becoming a more and more of a thing. And then the pandemic just pushed it over. But what I'm seeing, not only in adults, but children as well. And so that screen time, we knew we do know there's a correlation in, in excessive screen time and potentially dry eye. One of those being evaporative dry eye. So the eye is very, very complex. There are structures that are responsible for keeping the eye moist by creating a film, um, a lipid or the oil, right? So I call it your eyeball lotion. But the mm -hmm. only way that those, that organ or that structure is triggered is when you blink. And research shows that when you're on the computer device or tablet, your blink rate is decreased, sometimes up to 50%. So if you go day on end, day on end, 50% of your blink rate is reduced, then that means those glands aren't going to be triggered. And what happens, they get clogged up, they become dysfunctional and your eyes can get dry. So dry eye is one thing. Oil gland dysfunction is another. And then there's eye strain and fatigue just from being in that, you know, that intense area or space or working so close throughout the day. So mainly eye strain, fatigue. I've seen some headaches as well as dry eye and oil gland dysfunction. Wow. And, you know, I love the way you break it down, Dr. Davis, and I can tell you're really passionate about optometry. And I'm interested to know, and, you know, just shifting the conversation a bit, how did you get your start in optometry and know that this was a field for you? And that's a good question. So I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. So I get a lot of Detroiters that come in. Michigan. Yeah, I was I was raised in Detroit. Girl, I didn't know that. Oh, my it's God. Telegraph. I live right around the corner from McKenzie High School. But, you know, it's okay. all shut down. Yeah. Go ahead. Go Go ahead. So yeah, Detroit raised and I went off to college. So I went to HBCU. I went to Xavier University in New Orleans. So I'm an HBCU yes. graduate. Um, and I originally told patients in 
when I lecture and I mentor, I always tell people, I didn't start off wanting to be an eye doctor, right? I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. So, you know, I was a bit of a nerd, not very athletic, but I knew I wanted to be a doctor. But it was about my sophomore year in college. I was like, you know what? There's a lot of school, you know, there's a lot. You know, I do want to have a life, you know? So, and do I like kids that much? So I want to do this every single day. So I actually was home on Christmas break talking to my optometrist and letting her know because I've been going to her for a while and she was asking how school was. And I told her I'm at this crossroads. I want to be a doctor. I don't know if I want to be a pediatrician. You know, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And she goes, think about optometry. And I'm like, yeah, why not? I go get my eyes checked every year. She says, it's a great feel. Um, the eyes are needed and valued, very complex, but it gives you a lot of autonomy. You can own your own business. You can be a professor. You can, you know, you can, it's a, the world is open what you want to do. So I said, okay, let me think about it. I went back to my college at the time, Xavier University, went to the pre-med center, found a mentor, shadowed her, and that was it. Started applying, and next thing you know, I was in Philadelphia, and optometry school is where I got my optometry degree. Spent four years there, did several um, externships in the Atlanta metro area, got married and moved down here 17 years ago. So I've been practicing 17 years, and then 14 of those, I've been a private practice owner, which is what I really enjoy. Um, so I own my own business, my own vision center in Cobb County. And I'm one of the few minority-owned um, vision center, private vision centers in the Cobb County area. That's amazing. Congratulations on being a trailblazer in your city. And, you know, while we're talking about your practice, I would love to learn more about your small business journey. You know, this podcast is about fitness, self-improvement, habit change, but we enjoy in-depth conversations about entrepreneurship. Now, I can imagine it's not easy running your own private practice. What were some of the key lessons, pivotal moments, uh, challenges you overcame to get to where you are today? And so, you know, I always kind of wanted to own my own practice. That was one of my goals. And I said, you know, I thought I was going to work for a little bit and then start my own practice. But I actually worked in a corporate setting. Um, I think 2008, 2009, I was actually laid off. And so they're like, doctor, you got laid off. Yeah, doctors can get laid off. If you work in a corporate setting, you can get laid off. And so that kind of pushed me to, reach my dream a little bit sooner. Um, I will tell people it's challenging. It's still challenging day to day. I mean, 14 years, so I've lived through the um, housing market crash, a pandemic, you know, staffing, employee issues, but you have to have a plan and you have to have thick skin. One thing I did is on my maternity leave, because I have two kids who are 13 and 10. So my practice is 14 years old. So I was raising them the entire time. <laughs> on um, maternity leave, I did my business plan. So as my son was sleeping in between feedings, I did my business plan. So I made, a, made sure I had a robust business plan. And then I shopped that for funding. And I went for funding who were known to give money to healthcare professionals. So you try to be strategic about where you want to get funding and get money and be okay with getting money. You know, it's, I just got a, a large business loan to be able to do this, but I was pretty confident that if I stuck to my business plan, I can pay that loan back every month. And I say, praise God, in 2020, I paid my business loan Ooh, off. And yes, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, ma'am, paid off in 2020. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> you, can, you have to have a plan and you just have to get up every day and just get through that day, right? And so each year I'm big on doing my marketing plan, knowing who my target demographic is. You know, my practice is not necessarily for everybody. Um, just as um, theatrical as I am with you, this is how I am in the room with my patients. Um, I have a certain standard I like to have in my um, in my exam room. I say it's a relationship, so I can make recommendations and prescribe all day long, but you have to be able to receive those recommendations and prescriptions. So that means you buy into our practice. And so branding, marketing, and just mainly just getting up every day and being willing 
willing to face the challenge. I don't want to sit here and make it seem like it's easy because one day I'm happy, one day I'm in the corner crying, the other day I want to just throw it all in the trash. The next day I'm like, this is just awesome. I'm owning my own ex- my own practice, my own business. Main thing, get that business plan and the funding and get mentors. That's what I did. Man, that's great advice. And, you know, I really appreciate you sharing how you created your business plan while you were on maternity leave. Because for many people, that time can be overwhelming or they just feel like they can't do it. And you are proof that with discipline and effort, it can be done. So congratulations again on that. Uh, I want to shift the conversation uh, back to eye health and proactive steps we can take specifically with how we eat. I know that there are foods that are ideal for bodily functioning, for energy, for overall optimal health. What should we make sure that we have on our plate for good eye health? Or are there supplements that we need to be thinking about as well? This is a good question. You know, at the end of my exam, if I go over my assessment and plan and treatment plan, I always ask patients any questions. And this is a question I usually get. And I always kind of start off jokingly. You know, the body is not, the eye is not separate from the rest of the body. So whatever your mama and grandma told you you need to eat as a kid, that's what you need to eat to be healthy. <laughs> then I kind of go in, of course, your fruits and vegetables. You need to have a good level of antioxidants. So a lot of um, citrus fruits like blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, um, vitamin E is important, which you could get in broccoli. Lutein is a little bit harder to get. It's a, well, not harder to get. A lot of people don't understand. Lutein is important. It's in the back of the eye. It helps with the macula. It's already there. If you could take it in dietary form, meaning in a lot of leafy greens, vegetables, spinach and kale closer to the raw state. So I know how we do. We like to add all that extra stuff, ham hock, all that stuff. No, (laughs) really leafy green vegetables is a good source of lutein, or you can get a supplement of lutein. Um, Vitamin D, vitamin D is very important. It's been a link to a lot of health conditions, including eye conditions with vitamin D deficiency. People of color, we process vitamin D different. So typically as we get older, we are vitamin D deficient. But the way you really know with the vitamin D, you need to have blood work. So you should go into your primary care doctor. Um, Also, I always encourage good rest and sleep, reducing your stress. All those things contribute to your overall eye health as well. Minimize your risk of vascular disease. So diabetes and hypertension will significantly increase your risk of eye disease. And so just what you would do normally, you want to manage, you know, everything can't be a supplement base. You want to definitely start with your overall diet. You need carbs, but you need to manage the amount of carbs. You need proteins. You need your, your vitamins, your vegetables, I'm sorry, your vegetables. And you have to have every aspect of it, not just one, um, but mainly vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, and then lutein. But lutein, you want to be careful. I definitely encourage you to make sure you have an eye exam because sometimes patients I've seen have take so many supplements, so many vitamins, and they're not necessarily being managed. And those things sometimes can have potential contraindications over the overall health and the eye as well. Um, so you do want to make sure that you are um, divulging to your eye care provider what supplements you're taking, because I always ask addition to medications and then dosages. And some of those things I'll let you know, okay, you may want to you know, not take this or kind of go back on the milligram dosage of this because it may be causing some other issues. Mm, Thank you for that. It's like a reminder that our eyes rely on good nutrition and sleep just like the rest of our bodies. Really appreciate that explanation. Now, you know, earlier in our conversation, Dr. Davison, we were talking about eye conditions, glaucoma, dry eye. Um, I have another one for you, floaters. Um, This is something that I experience every now and then. I see spots or stringy objects that I sometimes bad away and they're not really there so I'm like out looking crazy what are floaters and is this a condition that should cause concern 
Um, the floater actually comes from a structure that's called the vitreous. And the vitreous is like a mucus-like structure. Um, and over time, it liquefies. So I use the analogy of like jello. You know, jello is a solid over time. If you leave it out, it'll liquefy, but it won't all necessarily do it at the same rate. So you have chunks. And those chunks is what you kind of see floating in the vision. And so floaters are fair game as you age because that vitreous changes consistency because more liquid. Or if you have a high prescription, if you're very nearsighted, it's pretty common. Um, but at the same time, if you get them here and there, meaning if you have a random time, you just see some floating, you look over, you're like, is that a gnat? But nobody else is moving. Those yeah. are within <laughs> normal range, right? Yeah. You know, as long as they're floating by is what I tell my patients. You'll notice those more on a very bright, sunny day, a very white background at the computer. If you move pretty swiftly and change your position, um, then that's somewhat normal. If you notice lots of floaters, 10, 30, 40 floaters at one time that are not floating by with flashes of light, that may not necessarily be normal. In that case, you do want to contact your eye care professional, professional because that could indicate that you may be possibly having a whole tear or retina detachment, okay? Mm. So if that happens, other than the one that's floating by, if it's a lot of them, you want to call somebody immediately and you need to have your um, pupils dilated. And then also you're probably going to have a special scan that looks at the retina to confirm if there's a hole or tear. In some cases, it's not. In some cases, it's really age related. And then some cases, it's something that's a little bit more sinister that requires surgical intervention. Dr. Davison, can you explain the difference between vision impairment and eye conditions? Because we see so much about LASIK surgery helping people regain their vision, but I read that many and actually most eye conditions have no cure and treatment is more about reducing further damage. Um, is that correct? That is a very, very good question. And I always tell patients, most of eye conditions have no cure. Mm -hmm. Most of the conditions we treat you with for our um, an eye disease, we have no cure. And that goes down to even as simple as dry eye. There is no cure. But we have ways to really manage your condition and to minimize vision loss um, or further vision loss. So preventive care is important. So what I want to catch something is when you're like, doc, I'm, I'm fine. I, I feel good. I see good. My eyes are comfortable. Then I, I feel more comfortable, meaning, yeah, that's great. My job is to keep you there. So we've caught this in the very early stage versus you coming to me with a complaint. And I'm telling you, this complaint is not going to be fixed with glasses. You have advanced glaucoma. And I've had that a lot, especially in our, in our population. So you need to go in regularly. You need to have a comprehensive dilated eye exam. I recommend every year for everybody, but definitely over 40. Or if there is a family history of eye disease, or if you have vascular conditions every year, because eye care professionals, we know what to look for despite how you feel. And if we mm -hmm. see something, we know if it's something that we need to intervene immediately, meaning whether it's a referral for tertiary care or if it's something that you have to be monitored more closely every four to six months, because we don't necessarily have a treatment unless it gets bad, but we need to watch you more closely. Or if it's something that we can treat you, and for the most part, we can make things much, much more better for you or more improved. But most things don't have a cure. So that's a very good question um, that I get a lot. You hear a lot on the TV, the internet, you can do this, jump up and down five times, look away three times, <laughs> and you'll get rid of your whole issue. Mm -hmm. Most of those things don't have any science-based peer-reviewed peer research to prove that because most conditions don't have a cure. 
for any yeah. related. So you can do a heart transplant, lung transplant. You better off if you then if you get advanced glaucoma. There's mm. not a lot we can do there. We're just hoping and praying that what we are doing keeps as much sight that is left. So the way I break the eye down is a refractive component and then the eye health component. Refractive references, if you're nearsighted, farsighted, astigmatism, or presbyopia. So maybe something that glasses, contact lenses can easily fix and something that your vision insurance will cover, right? So meaning I just need to see, I just need glasses or contacts to see clearly, right? Vision insurance like VSP, IMED, Spectera, what have you, will cover an annual exam to basically have your glasses and contact lens is updated. Those annual exams include a dilation and for us to check your eye pressure, just like a wellness check, because they know that's the way the doctor is going to screen for eye disease. So let me give you an analogy, right? I had a patient who was 45-year-old black male, first eye exam in his 40s. Chief complaint, so I'm back like I'm talking to you as a preceptor or colleague, I think I need glasses. So he comes in for an eye exam. We do the whole refraction, which is better, one or two. We dilate. We look in the back of the eye. We have special pictures that we take of the optic nerve and the retina. And so we have diagnoses. So yes, you do need glasses. You have astigmatism and you're over 40. You need help to see up close. However, Mr. Jones, I cannot get you to see 2020. You see better, but not 2020 because... The rest of the examination has revealed that it looks like you may have early glaucoma. We need to bring you back for additional testing because your eye pressure today was 30 and that's not normal. So he Mm. comes back for more testing and sure enough, he has early stages of glaucoma. So yes, he's going to wear glasses to see clearly out in the real world, but he's going to have to understand that I'll see better, but not perfect because I have glaucoma and he's going to come every four months to have his pressure evaluated. And once a year, those scans that we did to check to see if there's a glaucoma, if it's managed, if it's stable. So it's the duality. So he's seeing 2030, but yet he has glaucoma. You can see 2020 need glasses and yet have glaucoma. And the only way you're gonna know about the health component is that you have to see an eye doctor. And I wanna say that again, you have to see an eye doctor because the, the landscape is changing of eye care. So people want convenience, but they don't understand like you're trying to do with their podcast, the benefit of not sitting at a computer and have your eye prescription checked. The benefit of not sitting at a computer and get your contact lens prescription um, renewed because nobody is looking at the eye. So yeah. you can see 2020 and you walk around thinking you good to go. And then all of a sudden, boom, you don't see. And then yeah. you're asking, well, can you just adjust my contact and glass prescription? And I'm saying, no, ma'am, no, sir, because the eye is not healthy. The glasses only work as well as the healthy as your eye is. If the eye is sick, the glasses won't work well. Mm, thank you for explaining how the two work together because I never really thought of it like that. So let's talk a little bit about frequency of eye exams. How early should parents bring their kids in for an exam? And then as we evolve through life, you know, grade school, middle school, high school, adulthood, how often do we need our eyes checked, even if we don't have like family history of eye issues? Well, that's good. So you could a kid could get an, early, an exam as early as six months, and depending on doing things during birth that they were premature and things like that. They do have to go get eye exams. Um, the the census is or the consensus is baseline at three. You should have a, a baseline exam at three, and you could take your child to a pediatric optometrist or ophthalmologist when they're that young. It's not going to be the same exam that you and I will have, but those doctors are able to get 
a baseline. One, to make sure everything is developing normally, the optic nerve and the retina, so their pupils will be dilated. They check their color vision, their depth perception, and then they screen to see if they're at risk for needing glasses. Glasses, as far as myopia and things like that, are genetic. So if both parents wear glasses, there's a high probability your child will need glasses. So I tell parents, just like they'll get your nose shape and your eye, they can get, or your ears, they can get your eyes as well. And so by three, and they usually base that by three, depending on what that eye care provider will see, they will give you a good cadence on how often you should come back. So usually younger, maybe every 12 months, I'm sorry, every 24 months, depending on what they see. Then you fast forward to let's go adolescent years. We know between 11 and 16, nearsightedness is very common. So that's when you have trouble seeing far away. So definitely by middle school years, your child really should be coming in once a year because we're also evaluating to make sure things are still developing normally in the back of the eye as they're going through um, puberty, checking color vision, checking their eye pressure because there are things as juvenile glaucoma and things like that. We're screening for those things. If they don't need glasses, fine, it won't be prescribed. Fast forward to like late 20s, early 20s, usually by that time, everything in the back of the eye has developed. If you need glasses, in most cases, you're prescribed them at that time. Now you're coming once a year to evaluate just to make sure everything is staying healthy and that there's no risk for needing glasses. So um, increased computer time, certain things, pregnancy, certain yeah. things may change how your eyes are responding to the real world. You may need some light glasses. Mm -hmm. And then you fast forward to the 40s where we are. It's a whole different ball game once you hit yeah. the 40s, right? Yeah, you got to increase that text size. <laughs> or you like this, holding <laughs> yeah. on. Or you blinking. You're like, oh, Ooh, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm the sorry. Go ahead. Tell rough. me about the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. And so what happens, I tell patients in the 40s, your eyes will change. So if you're lucky enough to not have to need glasses until your 40s, you're blessed. Um, but in the 40s, your eyes are going to change. There's a special system in the back of the eye that allows us to focus up close. And that system naturally basically deteriorates, right? Um, people first thing next, what can I eat? What can I do? Then you, and once you find that out, you're going to be rich, right? Because that's the fountain of youth. If you figure out what yeah. to do to stop this deterioration, and then that's why you need glasses up close. So in most cases, once you hit adulthood, you should be having an exam once a year. But I get a lot of people, unfortunately, the first time is in their 40s. And I say, welcome, all right? We're getting the baseline today. And then going forward, we have something to compare it to. Because if I know you're healthy today, if something changes five years from now, I can go back and look and say, this didn't look like that. We need to do yeah. something or we need to intervene. Now, we started this conversation about vision being the most valued of all the senses and folks rarely getting their eyes checked. And oftentimes that's because we aren't experiencing any pressing eye issues. So we're thinking, OK, well, why should I go to the eye doctor? But it could also be because of disparities when it comes to access, specifically in black and brown communities. Um, how easy is access to affordable eye care and what options are there for people who don't have health insurance? Yeah, so that's a good question. So access, I think, is a big issue for a, a lot of people, people of color, but a lot of people. One is just understanding. People don't understand the frequency of how often we should get an eye exam. So most people think like you do. If I'm seeing fine, I don't need to be checked. And then two, you know, access is an issue in certain communities. Um, and that's why we have a lot of settings where eye exams are very affordable. Um, meaning like your places like Walmart, they have the Walmart Health Center where they have, they have several of them in Atlanta area where you have an optometrist, you have a dentist, and I think some of them you even have um, 
podiatrists. There's usually two or three oh, different wow. specialty care. I know there's one is in the Dallas area off of Dallas Highway. Um, it's a special type of Walmart that has all these different specialty cares. Um, and, and then a lot of your other, your corporate settings, they're going to be good for at least your routine. If I need glasses, let's go to those where I can get in and I might be able to get an exam on evaluation under $100 to get my glasses. Um, a lot of times, if you do have medical insurance, a lot of patients who are, if they're on Medicaid panels, there are providers in the area that take Medicaid and they'll give you an eye exam once a year in most of those panels. But there are disparities um, with eye care. You know, I wish I had a solution for those. Um, one place that patients may not know about is a Good Samaritan Clinic. I used to volunteer at the Good Samaritan Clinic, you know, when I first moved to the Atlanta area before I had children and 12 other things I have to do every day. But it's a great way to, um, place to have access to various different healthcare providers. So I used to go in on Saturdays and volunteer pretty much the whole day to do eye exams. And so you look up the Good Samaritan Clinic. There's one in Cobb County now and there's one in uh, Metro Atlanta. And you get into their system and you can come in and have primary care doctor visits. You can have an upstairs optometrist visit, gynecology, all those doctors volunteered their time to be able to provide those services. Wow, that's good to know because I didn't think that uh, eye care without health insurance was so affordable. So thank you for those resources. And I'm sure for folks listening outside of the Atlanta area, if you Google some community organizations in your area, you'll find some great resources as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, as we close things out, Dr. Janelle Davison, OD, uh, appreciate all of the great insight that you provided. And I want you to leave us with a one, two, three. What are some things that we can do right now in terms of uh, taking better care of our eyes? So give us some of that actionable insight and also ways for our listeners to stay connected and follow you on social media. And so in the last couple of years, everybody has to be big on self-care. So I tell my patients, eye care is self-care. You know, you want to get old, you want to be healthy, right? But you want to be able to see all those things that you're being able to bless to live, right? And so just find a place to start, you know, whether it's Walmart, whether it's coming to see me, I don't care. Just make an appointment. If you haven't got your eyes checked, get them done and find somebody that you can grow with. Don't want a doctor hop so that way they can have baseline information and be able to follow you year on end to be able to let you know if things are changing. Prevention is the key with eye care. Remember, most things don't have a cure. So the, the sooner we catch something, the better that patient outcome. I'm on all social media platforms at Dr. Janelle OD. And then my website is BrainEyesVisionCenter.com. Um, worst case scenario, just Google Dr. Janelle. I'll come up. For sure. Well, thank you again, Dr. Janelle Davison, OD, for this wonderful conversation. So much insight. And we wish you continued blessings in everything that you do. Thank you for the invitation. Man, I don't know about you, but if you haven't had your eyes examined in the last year, you better get to it. I'm making my eye exam as soon as I wrap up this episode, which is uh, right now. <laughs> that is a wrap for this episode of Mind, Body, and Business. Hey, be sure to follow, share, and subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Plus, you can stay connected with the Mind, Body, and Business podcast at MBB Pod on Instagram. If you have a question for me, a comment, I answer those DMs. I see the comments. So, Give us a follow. Give me a follow. The whole team at MBB Pod. I enjoyed this conversation and look forward to another one on the next episode. Until then, take care. 
Mind, Body, and Business is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media production hosted by Maria Moore. Follow me at Maria Moore, M-A-R-I-A-M-O-R-E on all socials. Executive produced by Maria Moore, Senior Director of Podcast Operations, Sierra Reed. Supervisory producer, Colby Tyner, Director of Sales and Corporate Partnerships, Michelle Marino. Integrated Marketing and Partnerships, Lori Flowers, Laura Lopez, and Brittany Jackson. Digital Marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Davis, and Tim Hall. Music produced by Jamal J. Soul Smith. Thank you for listening to the Mind, Body, and Business Podcast.